The Seattle Seahawks are heading to the playoffs, and they've got a major rematch coming up against a bitter rival down in the Bay Area. Could the third time be a charm for the Seahawks in the wild card round? Rob Rang and I are going to investigate some historical precedent heading into the postseason here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our Monday episode, my host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And I know, Rob, you probably share the same sentiment as I do. We're really fired up because it's a Victory Monday episode and the Seattle Seahawks are heading to the postseason. We didn't know if a win was going to get them into the playoffs. They needed help from the Lions. And sure enough, Detroit, Detroit went out there and they roared in Lambeau Field, get the huge upset over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers sending the Seahawks to the playoffs. Still shocked at the way things unfolded last night and everything fell in place for the Seahawks. And now they get to survive for another week and a chance to face the 49ers again. We're going to be tackling what that means from a historical precedent. Can the 49ers beat them three straight times or does that play to the Seahawks advantage? We're going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. And of course, our Monday musings are Takeaways coming out of Sunday's finale, overtime victory over the Los Angeles Rams. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks picking up the big win over the Rams in overtime yesterday and then getting some help from the Detroit Lions to vault into the final wildcard spot, extending their season into the playoffs. Pete Carroll still has not had back-to-back seasons, missing the postseason in his entire time in Seattle. That is a remarkable accomplishment, especially considering the low expectations that most people had for this football team. And now, as a result of getting into the postseason, they get a meeting with the San Francisco 49ers, who have already beaten them handily twice this year. They've won 10 consecutive games. That might seem like a bad matchup for the Seahawks to have any chance to extend their run two weeks into the playoffs, and yet there's the adage, beating a good football team three times can be really tricky I think the Seahawks are going into this hoping that that adage has some truth to it. And if you look historically, there might be some reason to believe that the Seahawks do have a little bit of a benefit going into this game. And at the same time, you wonder if it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I think that um, it's aided um, by the fact that the Seattle is going to obviously be playing against a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy. Um, And while I'm really interested to see how uh, history lends itself in Seattle's case here with trying to win a third matchup when a team has already beat you twice, I went back and looked at Brock Curdy's career, excuse me, at Iowa State in college. And it was interesting to kind of see how he himself struggled, um, you know, over his college career in playing opponents multiple times over his career. Um, Of course, he played for the Iowa State Cyclones in the Big 12. And you look at how he did in matchups against Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, the state rival, the Iowa Hawkeyes. And Corbin, he was very good at times. 
he was very poor at times as well. And it's that type of inconsistency that I think might be something that Seahawks fans can take at least some salve in because the 49ers have dominated the Seahawks on both sides of the line of scrimmage in their previous matchups. But again, if the 49ers are going to be able to beat the Seahawks and they're going to have to overcome the fact that I think the Seahawks are feeling like they have the better of the two quarterbacks. And again, playoff football, it doesn't necessarily have to be that complicated. The team with the better quarterback typically prevails. And that's why I think the Seahawks have to have some semblance of confidence going up against the 49ers, despite the fact that, again, they have already lost their two matchups against San Francisco so far this year. Yeah, you look from a historical perspective, Rob, home teams since 1970 that are in a similar circumstance to the 49ers where they have swept a division rival and they have a chance to play a third game against them. They are 12-6 and six in 18 games. That's a 66% win percentage. So home teams have been able to get the job done. There is a little bit of a caveat to this, though, that the Seahawks would feel maybe a little bit better about only a couple years ago. Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's been well documented. For whatever reason, they have had major issues with the New Orleans Saints. Even in 2020, when they ended up winning the Super Bowl, they got beat up pretty bad both games of regular season by the Saints. And then they have to go to the Superdome in the divisional round after getting smoked twice in the regular season, and they fall behind 6-0. It looks like, here we go again. And, yeah, the Buccaneers behind the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, they outscore the Saints 30 to 14 in the final three quarters and bring Drew Brees' career to an end in the divisional round. They end up going on to the Super Bowl and upsetting Kansas City. So I'm not saying that the Seahawks are going to do that, that they're going to beat the 49ers and they're going to run to the Super Bowl and hoist the Lombardi. I mean, Twelves would love to see that come out of nowhere from the seventh seed. But the point is that recently there have been some teams, but the last year, even though it was a road game, the 49ers beat the Rams both games in the regular season, and then the Rams won the NFC Championship game. And that one was on their home field, a little different circumstance. But there is some precedent recently where getting that third win over a quality playoff football team has been elusive. Historically, though, the home teams have done pretty well in these contests. So that favors the 49ers, who do have the better roster overall. But as you mentioned, that quarterback disparity, even with the way Geno Smith played yesterday, you know, Smith has been the better quarterback. He's the experienced quarterback. That is a major feather in the cap for the Seahawks going into this game. And, and we'll talk about this more as we go throughout this week preparing for Saturday's rematch. But Seattle has had so many opportunities that they have failed to capitalize on in the first few matchups. And if they're able to avoid those misses, then obviously that's going to give them a much better chance. And maybe they can become the latest team this trend where teams sweep in three games and maybe they can get that playoff victory and knock the 49ers out of the postseason early. Yeah, I, I do. Again, think that that is a legitimate possibility. Um, again, we, we talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, Corbin, that if Seattle was going to be able to rest away that number seven uh, playoff spot, then they were going to have to win both these last two games at home. They were going to have to continue to see consistent play at the quarterback position. And while Geno Smith obviously threw the ball up for grabs at times against uh, you know the, the Jets as well as the Rams these past two weeks, 
Seattle emerged with the victory. They got their running game going. Their pass rush has suddenly woken up nine sacks over the past two games. And, you know, who knows, countless pass rush pressures uh, that the Seahawks were able to create. Now, of course, that was at Lumen Field. Not going to be the same situation going to, to Levi Stadium for the San Francisco 49ers. But at the same time, it does feel like Seattle is starting to play the game a little bit better. And so, again, I think there's going to be so much pressure on San Francisco, and there is absolutely zero pressure on Seattle. Everybody expects Seattle to get beaten by the 49ers, and not just beaten, but just absolutely blown out of the water. And I think that that is going to allow Seattle to play with a little bit more freedom. I think we saw that against the Rams and some of their play calling. I'm kind of looking forward to, to talking about that a little bit longer in today's show, as well as what we saw from the Detroit Lions. I mean, just the some of the play calls that the Lions uh, attempted against Green Bay and how tight that the Packers played late in that game. I think you might see some of that from the 49ers this week against the Seahawks as well. And again, there is a lot of different reasons why I think that the 49ers are the you know prohibitive favorite in this game. But I also think that there are some things just trending well in Seattle's direction that could make this game a little bit tighter. And again, anytime I'm always going to take Pete Carroll and his experience, you talked about the fact never had a single season of back-to-back being knocked out of, of the play or back-to-back not making the playoffs uh, during his NFL careers. And then the same thing, you know, he's only the third quarter or the third head coach in, in history to win both the Super Bowl and a college football national championship. Again, that experience, I think, resonates with a young or somewhat inexperienced team like the Seahawks. That's why I think the Seattle might be able to kind of match San Francisco from an intangibles perspective. Teams that sneak into the playoffs, and I don't necessarily like that term when you win your last two games. If you're a team that loses two games and then you somehow sneak into the playoffs, it fits better. But teams that get that last spot in the playoffs, as you mentioned, they don't have any pressure because they're the underdogs. The Seahawks are 10-point underdogs right now. As we speak, nobody's expecting them to win this game, just like very few people expected that they were going to be able to contend for a playoff spot. And so that is where Pete Carroll likes to have his team at. That is his wheelhouse because Mr. Motivation himself is going to have these guys believing that they can go to Santa Clara and win. And I'm sure he's going to be showing all those times they got past midfield in week two and then botched those possessions. Like if we could have just made a few more plays, This is a totally different game. And so we'll have more time to break that down as the week progresses. But certainly, this is a fascinating matchup. Maybe it's not the most ideal one. I know a lot of 12s wanted the Vikings instead. But who doesn't want to see the Seahawks and the 49ers, two bitter rivals, get together again for a high-stakes playoff game? It should be a lot of fun this week as we continue to dive into this matchup, preparing for Saturday's wild card. Coming up next, we're going to get to your questions, our weekly Monday mailbag segment we got free agency, playoff questions, off-season questions, you name it. We're going to be tackling a bunch of those coming up next year on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Tommy John. Winter mornings are brutal, so here's my tip for tackling the day in comfort. Go grab new Tommy John loungewear and take cozy wherever you go. When you start the year in Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Tommy John loungewear, pajamas, and underwear have dozens of comfort innovations like luxuriously soft tri-blend and micromodal fabrics with four-way stretch 
and no lint balls or fuzz. That's a big win right there. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, people love Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. The only place I don't wear them is in the shower. For me personally, I love the comfort of Tommy John, no matter where or when I wear them. You can't find better pajamas and underwear. Get 20% off your first order of TommyJohn.com slash locked on. Again, that's 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash locked on. See their website for details. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Recently, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with debilitating health issues, and it's been a struggle coping with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all, and BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy securely done online and available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself, and BetterHelp has a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on. Again, that's 10% off your first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening from Italy, you're listening in Argentina, or in nearby Renton. We appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. All right, Rob, let's get to our weekly mailbag segment. We didn't get to it last week with there being a de facto playoff game coming up, but we've got tons of questions from our listeners. So let's get to it. The first one, this one was written explicitly for you, Rob. Blazing AZN tweets, what do you suppose the odds are the Seahawks extend to Chenonuosu this offseason? He's been super valuable, and he's only got one more year on his current contract. What do you think, Rob, after getting 10 pressures in yesterday's game, finishing with nine and a half sacks in his first year as a Seahawk? What are the odds that the Seahawks try to get a bigger deal done to ensure that he's going to be here beyond 2023? I think they're pretty good odds. I think certainly that it's not the priority that the true free agents will be, because as you and the um, you know, and our listener, and thank you very much to uh, you know this listener and all of our others, but um, you know, with one more year on his deal, it's not pressing. But at the same time, I do believe that Nuosu has deserved an, he, he's, his play deserves an extension. Um, you know, I argued earlier in the year that I thought that Jordan Brooks was Seattle's defensive MVP. But of course, with Brooks going down, the lack of big plays that he was able to produce for Seattle is the exact opposite with, with Nuosu. I think that his physicality, his toughness, his consistency, um, and as they like to say, the most important ability is availability. And Nuosu certainly showed that availability in production. Um, against the Rams. So I do think that there is a very good chance that Seattle 
will look to extend Nuosu as long as they can. I also think that because the Seahawks now have a different selection, number fifth overall, rather than number three overall, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks, then there are going to be some interesting candidates that might be available to the Seahawks. So that would be the one caveat that I would mention here is the Seahawks are going to have some flexibility in free agency. They certainly have a great deal of flexibility in the pa- uh, in the draft, and there are some good pass rushers available in both regards. Again, personally, I like paying the player who's already proven that he can be successful in your scheme, still being a young player, Nuosu. That's why I do think that there is a very good chance, numbers-wise, 60 to 70% chance that Seattle will look to try to extend Jenna Nuosu's contract beyond the 2023 season. Our next question here coming from Dina Wild tweets, do you think that the Seahawks move on from D. Eskridge after this year? So I'm going to say this right off the bat. I would be surprised if the Seahawks are ready to give up on their former second round pick yet because really the biggest issue has been availability. He's just been hurt. He's been banged up. And we saw with Rashad Penny when he was healthy end of last season that players can turn things around when they're healthy. Unfortunately, Penny getting snake bit again by injuries this year. But Eskridge is in a very similar situation, though at least with Rashad Penny, when he was playing his first couple years, you could see the talent. He was still averaging five yards a carry. We haven't seen that from D. Eskridge when he's been healthy. We haven't seen him make any real impact on the field. And I think that there's a couple factors at play here that could put the Seahawks in a situation where Eskridge is on the outside looking in. I would expect that he's going to be in training camp next year, but uh, being a second-round pick is not going to save things for you anymore, especially with Dariq Young, Kate Johnson coming up with some plays yesterday, and he's clearly a player that is rising up the depth chart, and the coaches think highly of both those players they're excited about, and they're going to have a lot of draft picks to bring in another receiver or two if they want to in April. So, there is going to be an incredible amount of pressure on him to figure things out and stay healthy, or the team will decide at that point, we've got the pieces in place already. We don't need you at this point. He hasn't proven he can be a special teams player consistently for them either. Dariq Young can do that. So there are things working against him now that a few months ago I would have said, no, they're going to keep with him. But I think right now, he's in a certainly a difficult situation. He's going to have to dig himself out of it. He's going to have to get healthy and show that he can be the playmaker they thought they were bringing in. And we have not seen anything close to that at this point, even when he has been healthy. So it puts that former second round pick in a tough spot. And it makes the, makes that first pick in that draft with only three selections look even worse with what Creed Humphrey is doing right now for the Kansas City Chiefs at the center position. Next question here from Theron Olson tweets, any chance you can dive into Pete Carroll and his success with quarterbacks? 2010, he gets to the playoffs with Hasselbeck. Russ goes to the playoffs his rookie year. Geno's first year starting, they make the playoffs. There's something there with an exclamation point. And I'm just going to say this right now before you answer the question, Rob. Maybe the thing that jumped out to me most from Pete Carroll's press conference yesterday, one of those things that just made me kind of go, wait a second, was when Pete Carroll was asked about Geno Smith's impending free agency and the state of the quarterback position. And I quote here, he said, we have work to do, but our system is really good. The system is really good. He made sure to emphasize that twice. Pete Carroll has been around the block a long time. He knows how to play the press conference game. 
And he did it right there. And of course, he mentioned Drew Locke as well. We haven't got to see him very much, but I like Drew Locke too. So he's already playing that game with Geno Smith getting ready for free agency that we have seen in the past. And his emphasis on the system, you know, maybe that makes you wonder a little bit if Seattle's debating a little bit what they're going to do at quarterback. Oh, I think they absolutely are, are debating what they're going to do at quarterback. I think they have a, a huge decision. The Seahawks do. Geno Smith has a huge decision as well because. You know, I, I love that you just mentioned what you kind of um, read between the lines with Pete, Pete Carroll's post-game press conference. What I read between the lines with Geno Smith's post-game press conference was that he also is looking forward to the possibility of getting to free agency and seeing what options are available to him. Um, you know, ever since Geno Smith's rookie contract when he was a second-round pick, by the New York Jets, interestingly enough, all those years ago, he's basically been on a series of one-year deals, yep. and he just got the winning lottery ticket. So I don't think anybody can blame Geno Smith if he looks to actual meeting free agency and seeing what options are available to him. I think that Seattle is going to consider possibly using the franchise tag on him which would be a, a contract basically upwards of $30 million a season. Geno Smith only got three in, in base salary this past year. So obviously a tenfold jump would, would be quite the, uh, the welcome addition to Geno Smith. So I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before with Pete Carroll and just his praise of the system that he's used. Again, Pete Carroll, in my opinion, is a Hall of Fame coach. His system does work. It's been proven over and over again. And of course, with his college days, and you have to be, get used to the transition from one player to the next as uh, you know, young men move on through your program, I think that he is better suited to handle that transition than most NFL head coaches. So I do think that the Seahawks, John Schneider and Pete Carroll, feel pretty confident that if Geno Smith was to leave, then they would be able to have similar success with another quarterback. Maybe there's going to be some critics out there of that strategy, but I think Seattle feels pretty confident in that. But I also think, again, that Geno Smith deserves every opportunity that he possibly can uh, to get paid while you know, striking while the iron is hot. Really good response on that. And I'm glad you pointed out the comments from Geno Smith, because you can tell that he knows how to play this game too. Sure. And so there's, there was some politicking going on a little bit there, even though they had a, had a chance to go to the playoffs, uh, both the coach and the quarterback. It's very fascinating. And we don't have to worry about that yet because the Seahawks are going to the playoffs and they will be playing on Saturday. But when the off season gets here, there's going to be some very interesting conversations from both sides of the aisle there when it comes to the quarterback position. Next question here from John Montalvo tweets, Honest question, as I haven't seen the practices, but what gives you the inclination Tariq Young will be the biggest, will take the biggest leap of the draft class next year? I'm definitely not saying this isn't true. Just curious. So, Tom asking a question based on a tweet that I dished out today. I've already made this prediction on social media, Rob. I think Tariq Young is going to make the biggest leap for Seattle's current rookie class in 2023 because we didn't get to see him have a catch in the first 16 games, but he has two catches against the Rams that both go for a first down, and he picked up good yardage after the catch, making defenders miss on both of them. So we got to see the dynamic playmaking ability. Anybody that listens to our show 
dating back to rookie mini camp all the way through training camp knows that I have been very high on Derek Young since really the first time that I got to see him on the practice field. And I just, I love the versatility. They've played him at fullback and he's made some nice blocks out of the backfield. He's made great blocks on the outside. I feel like every game he makes at least one tackle on special teams and feels like he downs at least one punt inside the five every game. I mean, this kid has been flashing for weeks, but we've been waiting for him to get the football in his hands so he could show off his athletic ability. You're talking about a seventh rounder coming from division two. That is a huge jump that takes a lot of time, even for a player with the raw talent Tariq Young has, and he's got an engineering degree, so he's extremely intelligent on top of that. He's one of the reasons that D. Eskridge is going to have a hot seat on next year because Derek Young, I think with his size, his speed, all of his physical tools and his football IQ, versatility, you name it, this is a kid that has the talent to be a major factor, not just on special teams, but on offense next year for the Seahawks. And I think you're just now starting to see the team and the quarterback in Geno Smith have the confidence in him. So that's why I made that prediction this early, and I'm standing by it. I think Derek Young is going to be a much bigger factor for the Seahawks next year. Real quick, Rob, we got a question that was asked for both of us here coming from Jarek Tweets. What is the best road venue to visit as a reporter or least favorite? I don't know what your response would be on this because I don't know how many road venues that you've been at, but you could also speak from a college football perspective, or you could talk college football showcases of some sort, uh, something that jumps out to you. Well, I, I've had the, the the great fortune of attending the, the Super Bowl when Seattle beat the Denver Broncos in New Jersey. And so that was pretty incredible experience. Um, and obviously Seattle emerging with the victory in that particular game definitely made it that much more memorable for me. Um, you know, having grown up a, a college football fan all of my life, I had the opportunity to watch the University of Washington play Ohio State in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. And while uh, the local team, the Huskies, um, lost that game, the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, yeah. um, it really did kind of just leave me kind of, you know, just struggling to, to kind of put into words the emotions, uh, the history of that particular stadium. So to me, the Rose Bowl. Um, in Pasadena is one that uh, I, I think is just an incredible venue to go watch a football game. So as far as best venue that I've been in, I, mean, I will say this, I hated SoFi Stadium the first time that I went there because it is an in-ground stadium and it took me like 45 minutes to find the elevator for the press box. And nobody in the stadium, none of the people working there knew where anything was at, probably because they'd been in it as many times as I had been. So, But the last two times that I've gone to SoFi, it has grown quickly into one of my favorites with the incredible state-of-the-art facilities. They had the best food for the reporters. Uh, they had a, a brunch that was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. It was incredible. All the reporters were raving about it. So SoFi Stadium... Um, the Viking Stadium is one of my favorites as well, in part because the atmosphere, the fans, it's like the 12s. The fans are rabid. They're crazy. There's fake snow falling from the sky in the summer. It's awesome. Uh, as far as my least favorite, I think it was just because the flight was not good. But like I, I've covered two games now for the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia, and I just that one just didn't do it for me. I, I just didn't like it. Um, but 
every stadium's got their perks. That was one that I was just having a hard time. Like, I kind of want to just go back to my hotel and finish writing. But uh, uh, that would probably be my least favorite on that list. Anyway, 12s, we're going to shift now to our Monday musings coming up next. Our instant takeaways coming out of yesterday's overtime victory over the Los Angeles Rams. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Pro Football GM. Ultimate Football GM is the ultimate on-your-phone simulation experience. If you've been dreaming about managing your own football franchise, the Ultimate Football GM app is going to bring that ability to you. You can do everything from hiring coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft with all the ups and downs of a season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks, and it has been a really rough first season. We've lost four straight games. I'm trying to get some of my young players in, but they're just not ready for prime time. I'm hoping to quickly rise back into contention against the other locked-on hosts in our virtual league. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league Locked On Seahawks listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code Locked On. That's all caps in the game store. That's Locked On again in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast, bringing you the local insights you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked on NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, let's get to our Monday musings, our takeaways from yesterday's victory for the Seahawks, a 19-16 overtime win. It was certainly not easy. The fighting Sean McVays, even with all the injured players that they have, they found a way to narrowly or nearly pull off the upset at Lumen Field and end Seattle's playoff hopes. But the Seahawks find a way to squeak it out in a day where Geno Smith certainly struggled. He called it his worst performance of the season. No argument here. Offense in general really struggled to finish drives. So looking at our Monday musings, our takeaways from this game, I'm going to kickstart the conversation here because I just got to get this off my chest because I feel like this has been a running issue for the better part of the season for the Seattle Seahawks. They cannot move the chains on third down to save their lives. They also can't punch the ball into the end zone to save their lives. One for 11 on third down opportunities yesterday. That is not going to win very many football games. Somehow the Seahawks have done it a couple times this year where they have had putrid third down performances and they have found ways to win the game. But one for 11, That you have to try to go one for 11 on third down. And, and they were better on first and second down yesterday. So that part of the equation was checked off. They were getting into better third down situations, and it didn't matter. They still couldn't move the chain. Some of that's on Geno. Some of that on the receivers not getting open. Some of it is on run plays that got blown up on third and short, fourth and short. The Seahawks just were not able to move the chains. And then in the red zone, 
The one that drives me nuts in particular is the drive they had late in the fourth quarter where they had to end up settling for a field goal when they had first and goal at the three-yard line. And I'm fine with them running the ball because you're trying to get the Rams to burn their timeouts. And you were able to get them to do that. They were able to burn two of them. But you get stuffed on your third down run. The play calling was very vanilla down there. Would have liked to see a little more creativity and really being aggressive to get that football in the end zone to give yourself the lead. But they went 0 for 4 in the red zone. One of those being end of the game with a huge field goal. So really, I'm going to consider it 0 for 3. But that still stinks. 1 for 11, third down, 0 for 3 in red zone. I'm just going to say this right now. You do that against the 49ers, you're going to lose by 30 points on Saturday. They have got to find a way to sustain drives and finish them. And that's really what's holding this team back. It's been holding them back for a month and a half to two months, and they just can't figure it out. Somehow they're in the playoffs in spite of that, but it's going to be a very brief playoff appearance if they can't get this fixed. Oh, you're 100% right on that. Um, At the same time, I think that it is kind of – uh, statistical anomaly that that Seattle was as bad on third down as they were as they were, considering the fact that they did kind of stubbornly run the football. I mean, Kenneth Walker had 29 attempts in this football game. I mean, they were willing to just continue to pound the rock and be patient. And while that has got to just be maddening uh, to Seahawks fans, I think that might be. I know that Pete Carroll said the reason why he wore the hat was because it was raining. Well, it might have also been because he was tearing his hair out in frustration, didn't want to show his new bald patch or something. Because as you said, Corbin, you're just not going to win very many football games when you struggle on third down that much. And now, of course, you're going to go on the road to a team in the San Francisco 49ers that has an infinitely better pass rush than the Rams do. But while I'll say all of that, I will try to, again, sprinkle in a little bit of optimism here in that the Rams have – arguably the best cornerback in all of in all of the NFL um, and Jalen Ramsey. And he just wanted to prove it right back to Seattle and the rest of the NFL. Of course, Seahawks fans took such joy in DK Metcalf basically carrying Jalen Ramsey in the game winning touchdown a couple of weeks ago. Uh, to me, that would be one of the, just the kind of Monday musings that I took from this game that because I, don't watch these games from purely a blue and green Seattle Seahawks perspective. I'm looking at more from a talent evaluation perspective, but just a little bit more neutral than maybe some of our listeners might be. I loved seeing Jalen Ramsey, a Hall of Fame player, in my opinion, come back and show what a terrific player that he is. I loved it that much more that Seattle was able to win the game win the game, excuse me, despite Jalen Ramsey having a spectacular performance that he had. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I think that Seattle should have some optimism going down to San Francisco. The 49ers, as good as their secondary is, it's not as good as Jalen Ramsey. So you should get the real DK Metcalf, the real Tyler Lockett, guys who should be able to catch a heck of a lot more than DK Metcalf's three catches for 40 total yards. And while Tyler Lockett made some incredibly important catches, obviously the touchdown, the toe tapper yet again in the back of the end zone being the biggest one. Still, he only caught uh, four passes for 54 yards. I expect both those numbers to jump significantly against the 49ers. And again, that's being another reason why I do have some optimism in Seattle's matchup with San Francisco this weekend. Yeah, that's a really good point that you're making there, obviously. 
Let's go to the defensive side of the football now. And yesterday I mentioned that the pass rush was the number one thing that jumped out to me. When you have five different guys get sacks and you have 10 pressures or 10 quarterback hits and you have more pressures than that, that really was the difference for the Seahawks defensively in this football game is that Baker Mayfield in the second half, the bootlegs that were working in the second quarter, suddenly the Seahawks had one or two defenders there every time sniffing it out immediately. And when he tried to step up in the pocket, there were multiple defenders waiting for him. And it really made it difficult for their passing game to find any traction, just 147 passing yards. But I want to talk about a position group that I didn't have a chance to really talk about in the postcast yesterday, that going back, rewatching the film, played really well, and that was the Jordan Brookless, Brooksless linebacker core. And in particular, Alexander Johnson, who had not played in a game all season, a veteran that has played a lot of snaps for the Denver Broncos in the past, comes in in this de facto playoff game, and I don't think anybody was expecting that he was going to be getting snaps as a practice squad call-up. I think Tanner Muse, everybody's expectation, including myself, was that Tanner Muse or John Radigan would be the two that would be getting those snaps. And yet Alexander Johnson played a lot of snaps on defense for them yesterday. And he really popped. He had a quarterback pressure on a blitz on Baker Mayfield. He had a tackle for a loss. He also had another tackle that he stuffed Cam Akers with Shelby Harris in the line of scrimmage. So he had three impact plays on defense in his first game for the Seahawks. You could see the experience again. This is not a guy that has not played in regular season games. He's played bit in the NFL for the Denver Broncos but his first game for the Seahawks and in a game of this magnitude to get thrust into the defensive lineup and play the way he did he deserves recognition for that and Cody Barton I've been talking him up a lot in the second half when the team has struggled he has been a player that I have felt like has taken big steps over the last couple of months and the play that he made on Cam Akers on the opening drive after Geno Smith gets picked off the first play of the game I thought Cam Akers was going in for six points with his speed and his athletic ability. And somehow, with a perfect pursuit angle, Cody Barton runs him down three yards short of the first down marker. It was a phenomenal play. Everybody in the press box was looking at each other like, he got there? Like, how did he get there? And you can just see the athleticism that I think a lot of fans don't realize how athletic Cody Barton is. He put it on display there. He, in this game, have any... My t- he had a, another pass breakup in coverage. Cody Barton continues to get the job done. So I thought this linebacking group yesterday played really well, and that's typically been a position, even when Bobby Wagner was out there, that Sean McVay has been able to roast in the passing game with crossers, and yet I felt like this group did a pretty good job yesterday. No, I 100% agree with you. Uh, Cody Barton led the Seahawks in, in tackles with seven. Um, I the, the play that you just mentioned against Cam Akers, again, I 100% agree with you. Um, eyes and feet, he showed both of them that play. He correctly diagnosed the play from the snap, and then, as you said, beat Cam Akers a very fast back to the corner. I did not see that coming. I thought that that was one of the most underrated plays in the entire football game. Absolutely critical to Seattle getting that victory. If they give up that touchdown right off the bat, I don't know if this game winds up coming out in Seattle's favor the way that it obviously did. So, yes, kudos to you, sir, for for mentioning Cody Barton. And just the linebacking core as a whole, I thought that performed well. I'll stay on that same kind of idea. I thought that 
it's really easy to give the Bruce Servants, the Daryl Taylors, the um, Nuosus of the world a whole bunch of love considering the fact that they got the five sacks and, again, all those quarterback pressures. I love how active that Shelby Harris, who had six tackles, just one behind Cody Barton for the team lead. I, I love how active that Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson were in this football game for the Seahawks. Both of them had, uh, you know, whether they were credited officially as pressures, they were in the middle of several big plays for the Seahawks. And then really quickly, Corbin, I'm going to go back to the offense for just one moment. I love that it felt like Seattle game plan for this particular game more than they had in several of the other games in the past. And it, it was very clear that Bobby Wagner was the defensive MVP for the Rams a couple of weeks ago, even though Seattle got the victory. Wagner was everywhere. And I love that Seattle got their tight ends and their running backs a little bit more involved. We saw some crossing routes. We saw the Rams had to send Wagner basically in motion to cover Seattle's backs and tight ends. That it, it made him get out of the box, and Seattle was able to take advantage of that with the way they ran the ball. I love that they would incorporate extra offensive linemen. We saw Jake Curran in motion for crying out loud when they, they you know asked him to play that tight end role and he had to declare himself as an eligible I think receiver. that I think that joined the beast quake as the second time there was a seismic meter <laughs> when Jay Curran got sent in motion exactly and that might be what Seattle has to try to do is be creative be against the 49ers because again they have been overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage so just be willing to be a little bit more creative through caution to the wind and i think again that's one of the reasons why that you might see seattle kind of surprise some people with this matchup against the 49ers is again they've shown the willingness to do it and they actually were able to execute what their coaches had put on on the, the screen as well so to me, those are some really exciting things. Again, Jake Curran, uh, you know, Stone Forsyth as well out there. Uh, they made, made, had really good games. Um, Abe Lucas, we talked about him for just a moment previously. I thought that him coming back, he looked like RoboCop out there with his arm and, you know, all, all, in, in all of the, um, you know, the way that it was. But at the same time, I also thought that Seattle at the line of scrimmage played one of their better games this season, and that's what they're going to need to do if they're going to have any type of success against San Francisco. Yeah, they only gave up eight pressures on the offensive line in this game. Now, granted, the Rams are missing a lot of pieces, including number 99 on the defensive line, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But I do think it is a positive step forward going into this third game against the 49ers, who obviously have an elite pass rush that's led by – Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. They're going to have to find a way to be better than they were the first two games against the 49ers, protecting Geno Smith to have any chance to win the game. And last but not least, I'm glad you pointed out Quentin Jefferson. 19 pressures the last five games. He's averaging almost four pressures per game in the last five games. He has really taken it up a notch or two here down the stretch, and that's been big for unleashing the edge rushers when they've had that interior pass rush. They play off each other, as Daryl Taylor talked about yesterday. That has been a big key for this defensive line and the pass rush finding life over the last several games. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, going to switch things up a little bit. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday, but we are going to be looking back at those previous two matchups between the Seahawks and 49ers, what went wrong and where the Seahawks have to make big changes to have a chance to get the win in Santa Clara on Saturday in the wildcard round. 
you won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.